Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and every day. We believe this will require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is unified in a region, that they're actually collaborating around five key initiatives. And those key initiatives are citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together in ways that the kingdom of God is being seen and experienced, and then starting new kingdom initiatives, like new churches, new nonprofits, new businesses. Presently, we're spending some time talking about disciple-making. And the reason why we're going to spend some time on this is because uh, I had the privilege of helping to shape the overall theme and content for Exponential 2022. And the theme is 180, a return to disciple making. We're going to be talking about five key shifts that are needed to help us return to the heart of disciple making as Jesus taught us. Uh, I've also put it into an ebook that's going to come out. Exponential is going to make it available for free. And in this episode, we're specifically specifically going to talk about one of the shifts. It's actually going to be the third shift in the conference. And that shift is from attending to attaching. And I have the joy of getting to be with Danielle Strickland. She's actually one of the speakers for the conference. And uh, if you haven't signed up yet, I really encourage you to, to, to do that because I, you're going to be blessed by what she and the others are going to share. But uh, for this episode, we're going to take some time and talk specifically about how we grow in attachment love uh, through the spiritual practices. So Danielle, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I know a lot of people know you, so you might not need an introduction whatsoever. And there's probably some that don't. So would you just take a moment, share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. It's great to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Um, And what a beautiful, uh, beautiful shifts we're making here, God granted. Um, I am... uh, a leader, a speaker, a mother, a wife. Um, I'm a lover of Jesus, uh, rescued uh, by his grace, and then just following him daily. Uh, that's led me uh, to some really beautiful, crazy, overwhelming, and perplexing, and also awesome and joyful and adventurous pursuits. It's around the world in different urban settings for the most part, discipleship training, social justice work, anti-human trafficking, to like my current situation now, which is really trying to help support and collaborate and train and equip and incubate sort of new entrepreneurial pursuits that are um, at the intersection of uh, faith and justice. So that's that's who I am. I speak a little on the side and I write and um, yeah, try to serve where I can. That's awesome. Before we go any further, you shared with me before we started a little bit about the new organization that's going to get launched. I do want people to hear about it because I'd love to have, we have a lot of people who live in the space or are interested in the space that you're talking about. And so would you tell us about that and also where people could go if they want to learn more about it? Sometimes people wait till the end of a podcast to do that. I want to do it right up front so we don't miss it. Well, that's great. That's great, Jeff. So Boundless is uh, the organization. The website is called boundlessenterprise.org. And uh, you'll see if you go to that site, it says we don't really start things. We see living things and then help them grow. 
And one of the emphasis, you know, I mean, I've learned so much over the years of, of just trying and always been an outlier, you know, just the way God created me. I understand now that's an entrepreneur. <laughs> but uh, in, the, in the church, you know, and in ministry and a mission, sometimes, you know, that's probably more of an apostolic prophetic gifting. And we've discovered, you know, those of you who track with Alan Hirsch and sort of the APEST community and stuff, you discover that a lot of those folks find themselves outside the church. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a time, especially now in the shift that we're in in eras and culture and the church trying to figure out, like, how does it move uh, in a forward with Jesus in a way that um, is different and outside of our normal traditional boundaries of institutionalized systemic church. And uh, we need these people more than ever before. And so just unlocking the collective imagination of all the outliers is like a dream of mine. I think like, wow, wouldn't this be exciting? <laughs> and that's what's happening is just there's this beautiful, uh, very relational, very people-driven. So again, I, you know, I struggle against architectural design as a kingdom principle because God started with a garden. So we're moving, moving, always moving towards this organic garden, life-giving, life-cycling, uh, but also requires some tending uh, and some, you know, forethought and some uh, stewarding as we were gifted to do in the the first chapter of Genesis. So. Um, that's where we're at. Just uh, God always making things new and that we get to co-create with God and calling some of the co-creators that can't and don't find a home right now. And there's a really beautiful growing sense of like belonging and togetherness and also this real invitation by Jesus to do things new. And so this is also overwhelming for us because of course I've got a whole background I could lean on. But in this season, I find like, okay, let's do something else and discover new things together. So, Oh man, I'm, I'm so excited. I told uh, Danielle in the beginning that I, I we've got to have another podcast just to talk about some of the things that she's doing. And, and I probably, I might even need some of your help. Maybe I need to sign up for some of the things that you can help me with because we seem like we're always starting new things too. So man, yeah. 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 You know, the, the theme that we're going to talk about here is this idea of attachment in disciple making in particular for you and the talk you'll be giving at the conferences around the spiritual practices. And, um, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, you, you probably are, but, uh, Dallas Willard toward the end of his life, um, was having a conversation with Jim Wilder. And Jim Wilder actually accounts, uh, recounts this conversation in his book, Renovated. And basically Dallas says to him, he said, this, this conversation may be the most important conversation of my whole life. And he was reflecting on how they had been teaching people spiritual practices for the, all these years. We know if anybody knows who Dallas Willard is, of course, he's contributed such wonderful work uh, and influenced so many, so many of us. Um, but he was talking about the idea that so many people, even though they did the practices, didn't experience much transformation into the character and likeness of Jesus. And, mm. you know, he defined the character and likeness of Jesus as being that, that it's measured by our spontaneous love for our enemy. That, that how we respond in loving ways to our enemy is probably the best way to measure whether or not we really have embodied the character of Christ, which I think is quite a statement. Um, but he went on to say, I don't know that we've seen as many people become as mature as we had hoped. And the conclusion was that they had lacked attachment love. And part of that was because Dallas's wife was in the therapeutic world and realized that the people who had gone through some kind of therapy where they learned to attach again to a caring, loving, nurturing 
person or relationship, actually we're able to engage the spiritual practices for much more profound transformation. And so the conclusion mm -hmm. was, is it possible that when Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent, John 17, 3, that what Jesus is talking about is attachment, love. And mm -hmm. of course, John 15, abide in me and I in you, and you'll bear much fruit. That, that, that's an attachment. That's a not just I know about him, but I am being known by him and I am being, and I am also one who is engaging in knowing in a very relational sense, a very attachment based sense. And so that's actually, this session is going to be addressing this idea that we got to really rethink maybe this idea that we're not just getting people to attend the spaces like our gatherings and our small groups and maybe accountability kind of triads or life transformation groups as Neil Cole called them, but actually we're wanting to teach them how to attach in loving ways through the spaces to God and to others. And so as you think about that um, and hear that, Danielle, um, I'm curious of from what you've seen, what you've experienced, how, how important do you think that is, first of all? Would you agree that that's important. And then the second is, what do you think is keeping us from that kind of attachment love in our, through our practices? Yeah. It's a big I mean, question, I know, but. but. Yeah. I love, uh, you know, at the end where Jesus says to the disciples, I'm, I'm not, I'm not calling you servants. I'm calling you friends. Mm, yeah. And, um, and that's like crazy town when we think about our organizational structures and stuff. And like, if that, that literally makes every pastor I know afraid. <laughs> like if he was just to say to his staff, like, I no longer call you staff, I call you friends. And the, wow. the, the impulse of like panic of like, what would that mean? And how does that work? And then the nightmare that is in terms of navigating HR and like your own capacity as a human and all that kind of stuff. So I think that itself is like a fascinating mm -hmm. Um, just think about that for a little bit and and then kind of detract from that. Like, why is that so terrifying to us? Um, another thing that keeps uh, occurring to me is, you know, we keep trying, we keep this narrative and I know it's in our self-interest, but also I think it's motivated by the sense of gospel imperative is if we could get everybody to church, we'd be good. And, um, you know, I, I, I often will tell people the Sunday before the Rwandan genocide, 94% of Rwandians were in church. Hmm. It was a Christian nation that yes. did one of the, you know, most horrific massacres of uh, racial cleansing in history was in church on Sunday. And actually the church itself was complicit in, in much of the, the massacre. And I, I remember um, going there and visiting on some peacemaking stuff and visiting. And there was this young pastor quite passionate about the gospel and stuff. And he survived with his uh, family by the grace of God, the genocide, and afterwards thought the church is over in Rwanda. Like, there's no way the church can survive this because I didn't, he said, I didn't even want to be associated with the church. And I'm a young, you know, aspiring pastor. And he said, but what happened in the country, of course, is that you have all these, it's divided into perpetrators and survivors. And you have all these perpetrators who are like, I'm filled with shame and self-loathing and I, I, I don't want to even live. They're kind of awakening to what they've done and it's like horrific and they're like suicides in the camps, all these things. Then you have all these victims and survivors who are like, I don't want to live anymore. Like life is terrible and I don't have any hope or any sense of a future. And you have all this grief and, and they're, they're both like in these, you know, terrible situations. And this guy said, I only know one, I only know one 
person who can forgive and cleanse and deal with shame. And I only know one person who can actually give you courage and hope and be present in your suffering. And the person is Jesus. And so he said, I ended up planting churches by accident because I only know one remedy for what actually ails us. And it isn't attendance at a church. It is a deep connection to the living spirit of God Mm. in 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 an attachment to the person of Jesus who can bear our sufferings yeah. who can forgive our sins who can bring life out of deadness you know who can help us live again and and you know as you start even just hearing that story you're like oh yeah but the problem is that the information formation will not do this you you cannot just know about the transforming love of God you have got to um, encounter, experience. And that's that attachment. Now, um, while I was there, I also learned this transforming practice they use, which has helped me forever. And I think it relates to this conversation, if it's okay. But yeah, it's called yeah. the transformation tree. It's in my book, Better Together, if anybody wants to read more about it there, around reconciliation between men and women leading together and all the, like, all the pain and uh, hardness of that uh, piece in our world today. And I think it relates to this in many, many ways, but the transformation tree is basically, you know, the fruit is first being willing to look at the fruit of our lives that we don't like. Most of the time we bury those, but actually Jesus is pretty clear that the fruit you're bearing is evidence of the tree itself. So um, when we think about this in the American church that is divided, or we think about this in the segregation, you know, I, I was even just exploring, even in my own, I'm Canadian, so oftentimes it's easy for me to blame, you know, those Americans. It's our but Even fault. the Canadian, yeah, it's always your yeah. fault. It's, it's excellent, actually. It's so handy to live by you. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I went to the first black church in, America, uh, in Canada, for example, in Toronto, it was formed. And I was like, why on earth is there a black church in Toronto? Like it's one of the most diverse cities in the world. So I'm like, this is crazy. Why would there be a black church? And then I was also serving as a teaching pastor at a, a very prominent church that was pretty much white. And I was like, what's going on in the most diverse you know, city that there are these segregations? So I went to this uh, black church and they told me why they exist. And they exist because when the um, emancipated um, enslaved people showed up in Canada with Harriet Tubman, literally like crossed over the Niagara border and and came, they all tried to find church and all of the white churches would not let them come unless they could produce a receipt for their own purchase to the slave owner, you know, to the slave oh master. Oh my goodness. And so they were like, oh, well, guess what, guys? We don't have that because that's crazy to, to <laughs> and to insist it is like not the gospel. And so we'll gather ourselves. And that's their origin story. Now that's wow. fruit. That segregation of our our communities is fruit on our tree. It's bad fruit, but we don't want to look at it. And we certainly don't want to look at where the source of that fruit is because the source of that fruit is, of course, is in, in the white church and it's, it's sin, you know, like it's rejection and it's marginalization of, of their black brothers and sisters. So uh, the fruit is the first thing. Let's look at our fruit. So we're having a discipleship crisis in that there's not a lot of uh, people that look like Jesus in our world today. Um, In your country, this is, you know, the the, the amount of visceral hate uh, that is spoken out loud, that is communicated even without words is real. And it's happening 
through Christians, <laughs> like a yeah. lot of Christians. So obviously there's some fruit issues here. So we we got to be brave enough to look at the fruit. Then the branches of the tree are sort of the behaviors that are causing those fruit. And so then oftentimes this is where we we land and we stop is we, we like, oh, it's our social media. Oh, it's our, you know, like our practices. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. But actually... Um, to get to transformation will require us to go further. And uh, in Rwanda, they use this picture of a Rwandan tree. You know, it's quite beautiful. And the trunk, they say, are your values. So what are the values that are supporting the actions that are producing the, the outcome? You know, so what are those values? And then um, that won't alone, you can't just shift your values. That's not, you know, you yeah. can't just be like, I value attachment now. <laughs> when yeah, you've lived your whole life valuing autonomy and individuality and centering yourself, you know, and putting yeah. yourself above everybody else. So you have to go even deeper than that to a, a root system, which they call your rooted beliefs. Hmm. So what are your beliefs that are actually fueling your values, which are producing the behaviors, which are actually creating this fruit. And that is where the transformation is. So when we're talking about attachment with God, we're talking about, you know, and again, why you don't see transformation happen when you say you really ought to spend, you know, 10 minutes meditating a day and then people aren't transformed is because at the underneath part of our lives and our mind and in our heart is this rooted belief system. And mm. we've got to get there. We have to get there. Now, I think we have rooted belief systems about what it means to be a strong leader that are around things like independence and autonomy and self-directedness. Um, mm. I think these are cultural belief systems that are very North American. Um, mm. Look at the way we've designed our lives, which ended up in COVID to be a nightmare, where our, yes. our idolatry of nuclear and ours and fences and security systems that kept us in became a prison, yeah. um, which actually is what they are. So this this deeply rooted belief system of autonomy and exclusivity, and I would even say ex um, exceptionalism, you know, which is at the heart of a lot of like I'm special, and that that root of like I'm special and that I'm better than a lot of other people, and depending on you know, what your belief system is. So getting to those yeah. places is the work that only can be done with the spirit of God. Mm. Like who is the spirit of truth that is leading us to repentance? And repentance, of course, you know, Alan just co-wrote a book called Metanoia, which is a beautiful uh, rehashing and rediscovery of what this, this word metanoia, this repentance word means, which is this awakening. This yeah. like, oh, I see now, like it's different. And then with that comes sorrow for sin, of course, but with that comes so much else. Yeah. And it's not just being sorry for doing things wrong. That's behavior modification. That's right. That's, yeah. just, that's just behavior modification. It's actually a deeply, deep rooted system of belief that's exposed. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of things in our belief system that are rooted there about God, Yeah. about God being a figure that is displeasing about God being somebody that is uh, out to prove something or, you know, discipline us uh, in a way that's unkind. I think there's a lot of hidden, you know, we we have deeply, deeply, I remember I used to do a listening prayer exercise when I was in, uh, in, in Vancouver and I was just practicing this, like, how do you actually create space in your mind and heart for Jesus to show up and have a conversation? It was just like mind blowing at the time that you could talk to God, which is hilarious. I'm yeah. a pastor, you know, what? I can talk to God. And then I remember teaching it to other people and going like, oh no, what will I do if they learn how to talk to God? I'll I'll be out of a job. Um, 
Anyway, that itself is hilarious, right? Like just even all these deeply rooted belief systems about what it even means to be a Christian leader and all these things. And I was having this listening prayer exercise with Jesus. And every time I would do it, I would create this safe place. So I was always on this bench and I would invite Jesus to come to me there. It's a very powerful exercise, which I highly recommend. And, um, and I would ask him questions, friendship questions, so that it would just be about friendship and not. But anyway, I would say to him, you know, whatever, what, what would you like me to know or something like that? And then he would always appear on this bench as like a Mission Impossible um, spy. He would come in like with a trench coat and a hat and then the music would play in my mind, like dun, 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 dun. And he would give me a piece of paper and it would say, this is your mission should you choose to accept it, you know? And I'd be like, excellent. And finally, this kept happening, you know? And one of these really? times, I, yeah, one of these times I just said to Jesus, you know, why do we keep meeting like this? And Jesus stood up and he took off the trench coat, took off the hat, and he goes, oh, thank God, I thought you'd never ask. And what he began to tell me is that I only saw him as a mission giver. That was it. I came to Jesus for instructions. And he's like, there's so much more I want to show you, Danielle. Like, Mm. I'm also a father. I'm also a friend. I'm also a mother. I'm also a lover. I'm also like a brother. I'm I'm all these things. And there's so much to discover about who I am. And finding your place in me, which is where we find our place, by the way, in Christ. That's right. So again, I think we've had this whole impulse. And I this I react to this a lot in church when people give gospel presentations now a fair bit, when they're like, would you invite Jesus into your heart? Because now I'm like, yes, invite Jesus in and Jesus can, can fill you. But also you're invited into Jesus. That's and right. this life is actually an invitation into the vast, boundless love of God that we find in Christ. And this my friends, is like where all the the rooted belief systems get exposed and get renewed and get uncovered and get replanted. And this is when we begin then, you know, we don't even have to try that hard. If we're just constantly doing behavior modification exercises and calling it spiritual discipline, we're just going to constantly be uh, disappointed, radically disappointed mm. in ourselves mm. because religion doesn't work. That could be yeah. maybe just the message of the Bible is religion that's, doesn't work. That's right. So until we get to those deeper places of belief systems and transformation at the root, you know, which is why Ephesians 3 is my favorite prayer, right? Where it's like maybe be rooted and established in the love of God so that we might then be able to grasp just how incredibly big and wide and deep and true and far is God's love, you know? Wow. Okay, now I know why they picked you for the topic. That was <laughs> no, that was so rich, so good. And the one of the, one of the verses that came to my mind as you were it's a set of verses as you're saying that last part was, you know, John 17 when Jesus praying to the Father, Father, as I am in you and mm-hmm. you are in me, may yep. they be in us. Yes. And you know, earlier he said we have to abide in him and he in us in John 15. But now he's like making it his prayer. And then he goes on to say, then the world right. will know. Yeah, right? and they'll exactly. know by the fruit. That's the right. fruit of the tree will be love. That's what comes yeah. out of God. That's just like, he can't stop it. Like love can't be contained. So love just keeps expanding. So, you know, and you know, if you know this, when you have children, you know, where you have one children, your, your child, your life has changed. You love in a way that you've never loved before. Like it's literally just like an awakening to love and self-giving yeah. love. You know, like I remember like three in the morning feeding my son and having no angst toward him at all. I remember just going like, it's the most beautiful moment in my life. And I'm like, how could I be happy? That he's he's doing the very thing he was created to do and you're getting to do what you were created to do. And, and you know, I know there are other stories where that is a thing, but for me, it was an awakening of love. And then I thought, oh man, if I have another one, it's going to be hard. Again, we think this 
love is like somehow a some zero game, you know, that there's, there's only so much of it. It's a pie and you can only get, and actually it just expands. And then you realize, oh my gosh, I love this kid too in ways that I never, and it awakens other, and it just keeps expanding, you know? And it's one of the things I think about uh, one of the great belief systems at the heart, whether we know it or not, but underneath in, in, in the system of, of North America particularly, is that everything is um, consumer-driven. It's a capitalistic worldview. We live in a capitalistic culture. So everything's a sum zero. You know, everything's a tit for tat. Everything's got like a pie. And it's, and I think we believe this about about our capacity. I think we believe this about God. I think we believe this about love. I think mm. we everything's sort of got this this thing that it's not it's not going to be enough. You know, there's a scarcity to that, um, and it really robs us of a kingdom economy, which is like actually, <laughs> and this is you see this in um, this happens when people live in scarcity. You know, when people live in economically uh, deprived communities where it's hard to trust and it's hard to believe and it's hard to open, it's hard to share. You know, all these things are difficult because you're literally like in a poverty mindset. And uh, this would have been the disciples. And you see Jesus constantly teaching them there's more than enough. We're not going to run yeah. out. Like, it's okay. Like, I've got more than you think is possible. And I think we're, even though we're like one of the wealthiest uh, countries of the world, I think we have a poverty mindset yes. uh, in our belief, rooted in our belief system, uh, that there's not going to be enough. And um, oh. that's another rooted belief system that keeps us protecting ourselves at the expense of relationship. Oh, wow. That's so good. What what occurred to me as you were saying that is just the idea that not only attaching to God who is love, but having the opportunity to give love away expands love. That it actually, our experience of love gets bigger. Yes. The more that we not, and this is, I think this is what's needed there. I have to both be attached to the source, but I also have to have the opportunity to extend it. And it's in that, that 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 the love expands, and therefore there's a richness in what you just said. Like I already am rich; I have it. I have it all in in Him. But there's yeah. a, something about when it goes, I also give it away. That the the awareness of it, maybe, or the experiential nature of it, becomes more foundationally transformative for me. Like there's something about that that did when you talk about being the mom. Yes. You know, who's giving, like, it's like you, you, you didn't realize how much more love there was, but right. you had to actually have the, the outpouring of yeah. it. Yes. Which is, you know, Isaiah 58 is one of my favorite passages of scripture. And it's always this, you know, we, and again, this is information formation. So we think that this is, we're so addicted to left side of our brain learning, right? That's Where right. it's all rational, didactic, informational thinking. And it's literally the opposite of everything Jesus did and every way Jesus taught. It was like, come with me, come and see, come and taste, come and do, you know, get yeah. it wrong, come and talk, you know, like let's debrief. So it's all these, and um, it's beauty, it's look at the world, it's architectural terms. And I mean, it's uh, organic uh, living. So, you know, so again, it's part of that. We think that once we get it, then we'll give it. And I'm always like, it's when you give it that you get it. Mm. And this is a discipleship mandate. You know, this is, and this is the same with, with God. It's not like once you get that God is loving, then you'll have a loving relationship with God. It's when you encounter a loving God <laughs> that you get that God is love. It, it's not that you'll love others when you get that you should love others. It's as you love others that you get that loving others is actually a beautiful way to live. You know, it, mm -hmm. again, it's just so, you know, we've literally designed an education system in reverse. 
So of yes, course we, we we think this is an educational problem or we think that's why like, you know, a master's degree or a PhD degree is not going to do it for you. Um, but maybe a couple hours on a carpet with Jesus just loving you unconditionally might actually unlock some uh, some deeply held rooted belief systems that will, you know, liberate you to live differently if you let that work happen. Or maybe loving in a way that is opposite to your cultural impulse or your upbringing might actually awaken in you this love that is deeper and expansive and crazier than you ever thought you know, it was. And then that, you know, we see this happen so much to people who love across cultural bounds and then that awakens them to deep theological understandings and and experiences with God as a result of trying to catch up with their own, you know, their own encounter. I mean, it's yes. so beautiful. I mean, this is, this is how a child is formed, right? We like we when we bring our kids up, they're experientially getting what we're telling them later. Yeah. Like we, yeah. we explain what they experience and Jesus doing the same thing. It's like he would pull them away and do left brain after they experience right brain. Right. Right. And right. In terms of like the experiential nature of his love would then get explained in why or how or what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So I think... Part of the struggle, I think, for my life and then part of the struggle as a as a Christian leader is to stop, <laughs> it literally is to stop doing the things I think I should do in terms of people need to believe the right things. Uh, people need to, you know, get these facts straight. People need to know this stuff and actually consider myself mm. a facilitator of God's presence. Mm. People need to encounter God for themselves, including leaders. People need to know God for themselves. Mm. People need to hear God for themselves. Now, it's not an independent uh, because that Ephesians 3, going back to that, which is like my life verse. So it's like, if I'm rooted and established in the love of God, then I'll be able to grasp and see together with all the saints, how rich and high in love. So that little word together with all the saints is so important because one of our cultural deeply rooted values is this solo independent, I've got yeah. this, which leads to this heroic leader concept, which is crashing in every denomination across the Western world right now, in case anyone sure else is paying is. attention. Is anyone else paying attention to leader yep. after leader after leader after leader crashing and burning because behavior modification doesn't work? Okay, let's That's just say right. that. Yeah. But deep abiding, it's a different thing. So mm -hmm. my job really as a leader and is to actually figure out how we encounter the living God together and then how we journey into depth and then also with um, letting this love you know, just naturally multiply and expand um, out of the source. What have you found to be some of the the ways you help facilitate that? The whether it's creating the space or leading people into a practice or an experience. What what have you found to be some helpful ways that you've done that with others? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the you know, this just sounds totally ridiculous. Like, I mean, this stuff just sounds so silly sometimes and people just are like, yeah, yeah, love expands, la, la, la. But like literally prayer, 
I mean, again, it's like the thing you don't have time for. And I remember years and years ago, I was I was living in a an urban neighborhood, and um, we started a twenty four seven prayer room in a slumrooming house, kind of overlooking the ground zero of like drug addiction and prostitute, like all the things, just all the injustice at this. And we rented out this slumrooming house, and we literally just, if you don't know about the twenty four seven prayer movement, Pete Gregg kicked it off accidentally. He's the bewildered founder, and just invited people to pray. And I read, of course, his book Red Moon Rising right at the beginning, and thought, okay, wow, we're praying, let's do it. So we moved into this neighborhood where we were overwhelmed. We didn't know what we were doing. We went to save it. That's not like God's like. I guess what, guys? I'm already here, and uh, the person that needs saving might There's actually one be savior. That's right, might be you. And so we just signed up for three hour shifts in this prayer room. So we had 15 people that ended up kind of being our leadership team, and we were all doing three shifts a week in this three hour prayer room in this slum rooming house in like Ground Zero. And I remember literally signing up, and I would go the whole way there. I'd be like, "What am I doing?" Like, surely there's somebody less talented than me than could spend three hours in a prayer room today. Like, this is crazy. I have so much to do. There's so much justice work to do. There's so, and I would just be grumbled the whole way. And I would get there and I would close the door. There was no cell coverage in the room, which was such a gift we didn't realize at the time. So I would start getting the, you know, detox Joneses for work. And I would, all these things I had to do would come to mind. So I'd spend the first 45 minutes to an hour just listing all the things I needed to do when I was done praying, you know, and, um, which I did. I would do. And then I would like, after that would happen, I would, I would get distracted by some part of the prayer room, you know, like the names of God. And I would go over to the names of God and I would just be like, whoa, like this name of God and this name of God and that name. And anyway, I would get, and then I would start praying to, you know, God, my provider and God, the break, breaker of ways, you know, and God, the one who goes before me and God, and I would just get into this thing. And then there'd be a knock at the door and I'd be like, who's bothering me during my prayer time? You know, and it it would be the person replacing me because my shift was over. And I'd be like, what? Like, how did that happen? (laughs) And then I would be on again in two days and I would go to the prayer room and the whole way there, I would grumble and say, this is ridiculous. What a waste of my time. And surely there's someone who's not as talented as me who could pray. And then I'd get there and I'd spend 45 minutes making lists of things that I had to do when I got done this stupid prayer shift. And then I would get caught up into, uh, you know, a worship album and I would lie down on this floor and I would let the song just wave, wash over me, you know, just, Mm -hmm. I remember just like in Bali, I just cry about the person that I couldn't help that day and the people that I walked by. I was just... And then someone would knock on the door and I get ticked off because they're interrupting my prayer time and it would be the end of my shift. And then I would do, and you would think, Jeff, that after a year, you know, we did this for three and a half years, uh, I would stop grumbling on my way to pray, that I would get into that prayer room and be in the zone and ready to go. And I kid you not, every single time it was a struggle. And, but then every single time it was a discovery of the great presence and joy of God. And and also, when I look back at that season, I see what God did in, mm-hmm. in in supernatural like ways that is like what and people would say, "What were you doing?" And I literally am like, we were praying, yeah, which again is this john fifteen five if 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 you figure out how to, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's a struggle. So one, mm-hmm. we have this idea that there are these saintly people that just can enter into the presence of God and be transformed by his love. No, there are people who make intentions. There are people who make decisions to spend time. And then here's the thing, and this is crazy. I know this is crazy and you're not really allowed to admit this, but we need to learn how to pray. Yes. We just need yes. to learn how to pray again. And yeah. our prayer meetings are dry and 
boring as heck. I mean, I go to prayer meetings. I just want to off myself. We need mm-hmm. to pray again. We need to learn how to pray in ways that awaken us to God at work around us. We need to learn how to pray in nature, you know, to mm-hmm. allow what God said, like when you're really anxious and worried, look at the birds, yeah. look at the flowers, look at the trees. I mean, I don't think Jesus was just saying that parabolically. I think he was literally, go place yourself in an ecosystem that is so much bigger than you and designed so intricately that you go, wow, who did this? And you can go, God did this because God is able to do immeasurably more than you could even, you just look around. So I think we need to intentionally find places that will awaken our souls and connect us to the source By the way, in church history and in my experience, serving the poor does this Mm -hmm. almost similarly to nature. It has a very similar where you're like confronted with all of your rooted belief systems that are untrue and you're having to replace those belief systems with a God who's full of grace and mercy and love and transformational power and connection and that kind of suspends your mind, you know? Right. All of these things, by the way, are a way of getting our minds out of the top sphere of our lives. So this is going to, again, sound very affronting to a Western culture that has put intellect at the top. Everything we struggle with are things we can't understand. And uh, I remember years ago talking to a leader in Hong Kong who has seen God do these transform, I mean, incredible things. And I remember asking her one time, like she could pray for drug addicts that were opiate addicts, like heroin addicts for years, and they would miraculously recover with no detox symptoms. And I was working with heroin addicts and I was getting none of that. And I went to her and I said, teach me what to do. And she said, okay, here's what I do. I pray in tongues over these people. And I was like, okay, but not that. I was like, okay, do you have any other things in your wheel? Like I was, was is there anything else? Anything else, anything else? And I remember she said, oh, yeah, right, you North Americans, you uh, you have the idolatry of the mind. So anything wow. that I tell you that surpasses what you can understand, you reject because you actually don't worship the God of mystery. You worship the God of your mind. Oh my! And goodness. I remember being so convicted because it's true. I would do anything except something I don't understand. Wow. And sounds ridiculous. It makes me sound stupid. You know, like, again, then Paul is like, it's foolishness that I preach. It's oh, it's an upside down. It's the foolishness of the world that actually confounds the wise in our culture. And again, this is a deeply rooted belief system that needs to actually work its way out so that I don't mind being foolish in the eyes of the world. I don't mind being despised and rejected. I don't mind people saying that person's lost their mind because I'm not worshiping my mind. I'm yes. worshiping the mysterious, boundless love of Christ. And how you can tell is because it's bearing this beautiful fruit. Um, oh my goodness. And that's the invitation. That's the invitation. Yes. Man, I was, that last part, I started getting chills up and down my body, just like both conviction of the spirit, as well as just the honestly joy. Because I, I think so often we, because it, we, we worship our minds, then people who whose minds don't work as well as others are almost deemed spiritually immature. Right. And by that, I mean like they aren't as intellectual as others or they don't have as many, 
they don't know as much information as others. And just, um, I mean, even as... And what's interesting in my experience is that those that are deemed that, even in my own experience of working with marginalized, excluded people, they're, they love well. I mean, the way they love is like, I'm always being schooled. You know, yeah. they're, the way they share, the way they're open, the way they're attached, the way they actually suffer, the way they, they express sorrow, you know, that embarrasses me. I'm always just like, can you just keep it together? Like, and they oh. can't because actually yeah. they're experts. And if you, you know, if you haven't reread the Beatitudes lately, you really should because Jesus tells you yes. this is actually how the kingdom comes is the poor in spirit uh, yeah. will show you. The way here is when you go, I can't. And so even in this conversation, when you're like, I don't know how to attach to Christ and to others in a way, congratulations, you're at the beginning of the that's kingdom right. of God. That's this right. is the place, that's what you do. You come and you say, I am so naturally detached from my own needs, from my own body. We don't even have time to tell you about even how I, I figured out that I had been completely detached from my own body for my whole ministry because I had a belief system that my body was an enemy or even yeah. just something that was discardable or not actually a valued part of my spirituality. But even attaching to my own body was like a total belief system shift that happened on a mat in an exercise room when I when I prayed a breath prayer uh, called wow. Be Loved. And I, I felt God tell me, love your body. And I literally realized I had never in my entire life loved my body. Mm. I did the opposite. And how, if I can't even love my own body, how am I going to love someone else's? How am I going to mm. love someone else's? And when we, even when we bring up things like um, the sexual exploitation or the objectification of like between women and men, of course we can't honor each other. We don't even know how to honor ourselves. Wow. And so this whole transforming practice of love, you know, and God's invitation to abide in Him, like this is the work has to be done in those spaces. So if you're like, I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I can't. Then you're perfect. That's exactly right. And that's where you start that's is right. you come to God honest and poor and you say, I don't know how to do this because I haven't been taught this. I don't know how to do this because I got some deeply rooted belief systems in me that are actively growing terrible fruit in my life. Whether that's a lack of relationship depth in your own personal life, whether that's an inability to actually love people and be merciful in ways that are are abundant, whether that's a scarcity, whether that's a fierce independence and nobody else can speak into your life, whether that's a hidden secret sin that you're totally ashamed of and have never dealt with, whatever it is, that's the place you come and you say, okay, God, let us begin. Let us begin. Show me the kingdom um, and show me those deeply rooted belief systems that can actually let love um, mm. rule here. You know, let love rule here in my life and mm. mind and heart. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is so rich. Oh, I'm so grateful for your voice. I feel like you're not going to have enough time to speak exponential as I'm listening to you because I think we need like an hour or more of this. Um, I am curious. I know you've written stuff and you've put content down. I even personally like want to dive in a little bit more. First of all, I love the exhortation. If you don't know how to do it, that's awesome. That's the beginning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the mm -hmm. kingdom. That's where we start. So I don't want to like, counter that with now where, where, where do we go read and learn? Um, so don't miss this. We still need to start there, but you've, you've been living in this. If that, if that's your, your core uh, passage, mm -hmm. Ephesians three, you've been living in this for quite some time. How, mm -hmm. how could we get access to more, more information that you put out more experiences, whatever, like 
I'd love to let our listeners have some next steps from you. Yeah. So I, uh, one of my, you know, organizations that I, I lead in these days is called Infinitum, which is Latin for boundless. So Infinitum, and there's a website, infinitumlife.com. If you go there, this is a very simple practice that is about practicing the way of Christ, not just about learning things about Christ. So again, this is in this this whole thing where I'm like, there's something terribly wrong with the way we're even instructing people because it's all information-based and not actually practice-based. So infinitumlife.com, but on there you will discover, even if you just go to my website, there's a course called The Creative Way Down. And again, this is the opposite of ascension culture, which is a deeply held belief system. If uh, it's of God, God will bless it. And by bless it, we mean upward mobility. Uh, it turns out that didn't work out well for Jesus uh, mm-hmm. because his calling was a descent. Yes. And uh, the Beatitudes is a way down into the rooted you know, love of Christ. So there's a course um, and I... People have used that. It's I've just finished a cohort leading a group of leaders through the Creative Way Down, and it was again transformational for me. It's mm-hmm. uh, three and a half months of material. Um, oh. You don't have to do it all at once. You can do, and we've we've packaged it so the first three beatitudes are surrender, and you practice what does it mean to live a surrendered life. Embedded in that course are like actual spiritual practices, like silence, like lament like how to even let your tears be a a spiritual practice rather than just something you're trying to hold back so you pretend to be hopeful and happy in this highly successful Christian life, you know? And then the second uh, three, you know, the second group of Beatitudes is a generosity Beatitudes where it's actually, we start practicing the mutuality of giving and receiving from one another and that practice of actually extending beyond our own selves. And then the final three are missional practices. Or what does it look like to ha- live lives that are literally giving giving ourselves away? Mm-hmm. Um, so I highly recommend that. Uh, get a friend, do it together. You know, yeah. find, if you're at a place you're listening to this and you're just like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, get a friend and begin to do this. And and what I love about what this is is it's like a ten minute instructional thing by a guy, a, a really good friend of mine, Aaron White, who looks a lot like Jesus and bears a lot of fruit. And he basically is just like, here's this beatitude and how I've struggled with this posture of being poor in spirit. And then every day there's like some teachings, but there's some practices. And the whole point of the the teaching is to try to get you to create that sacred space where you allow Mm. God to form you in a deeply rooted way. So um, that's my my pitch for that, not because I want you to take that course because I'm trying to promote it, but because literally it's hard to find you know, stuff that goes from information into formation. And so, um, and then if you track with Infinitum Life, often we do um, retreats or we're doing pilgrimages. So we, you know, I walked a 200 kilometer uh, St. Cuthbert Way with my 12-year-old son who was turning 13 and a bunch of other friends where we're like saying, what does it mean to be a human, an adult that we're proud of? And how do you, you know, so we're just always exploring mm. the boundless capacities of what it means to be formed by Christ. Um, anyway, if you're into like a easier, uh, shallower sort of like, how could I begin to get people to touch? We have a 30 day challenge where it's literally just like you could sign a, your small group up or your church up to a 30 day challenge and just start getting people to actually practice the way of Christ instead of just have another Bible study about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm also a big fan of Rich Velotis's, uh 
uh, book on spiritual formation, the deeply formed life. I think I think I call it the the Richard Foster celebration of discipline for this generation. I think it's Mm. that kind of a classically um, written book. So I highly recommend that one. That I think that's a very useful one. Oh. So helpful. Thank you so much for all this. I I can't wait to see you at Exponential and get to hear from you again. Uh, And so if anyone's listening, I encourage you to check that out. Join us um, in March 2024. Um, Danielle, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Well, thanks for joining us for the Saturate podcast. I hope you are inspired and encouraged as well as receive some ideas of how you could take some next steps in the work God's called you to do in your own context. I want to let you know of another way that you might be able to receive some ongoing encouragement and equipping. You could visit saturatetheworld.com where we have a lot of our resources, our training, PDFs, videos, audio, a whole bunch of stuff to serve you in your journey towards being a disciple of Jesus who makes disciples in the everyday stuff of life. Now we're gonna provide a code for you to use if you'd like to try a two week free membership to our subscription-based services. That code, if you'd like to use it is podcast2023. That's one word, all lowercase, podcast2023. And we'd love to just invite you to check out what we have online so that you can see if it's something that might serve you and maybe serve the people that you also lead or work with as you consider what it would take for you to get more and more equipping. It's our desire to make this available to as many people as possible. And so everybody who eventually pays for a monthly subscription makes it available for free for people who can't afford it. We've had the honor of being able to give almost 500 free subscriptions away this last year, and we're hoping to give even more to those around the world who can't afford the membership. But if you can, we'd love for you to consider it. Try it for free for a couple weeks, see if it serves you well. And if so, love for you to continue on and be a Saturate member. Second, I want to invite you to consider being a Saturate partner. And that's someone who's committed to pray and or also give to support the work of gospel saturation. What we do is completely based on fundraising and the money that comes in through the subscription and some of the products we're able to sell. But the majority of our work is funded by people like you who just believe in the work and want to see more of it done. So if you want to pray with us and join us in praying for gospel saturation, send us an email at hello at saturatetheworld.com. Let us know you want to be a prayer partner and we'll begin to send you updates so you know how to pray specifically. And if you want to give, just go to saturatetheworld.com, click on the give button, and you'll see all the instructions there to help you take a step towards supporting the work as a Saturate partner. Again, thank you so much for listening in and I can't wait till you hear the next one. I hope we continue to encourage you with the work of gospel saturation in North America and around the world.